0: Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we pause before your very throne. It's amazing that we can come before your throne of grace. We know that you created all things, and you made us, and you made us to know you. And we gather here, we're reminded of your great love for each and every one of us. We're reminded that you reveal yourself to us and have a desire to walk with us each and every day. Lord, you gave us your word, and you revealed your commands to us. You've shown us the way of life. You've shown us that way of life that's eternal, that way of life that since the beginning even governs the heavens, that way of life that brings peace and great joy to our lives, and we need that. We need peace and joy in our lives. Father, we confess that as a church, as we live in a dark world full of sin, we sometimes struggle to fit in. And in our struggles, we sometimes conform to the ways of the world. So Lord, help us. Help us as followers of Christ to be light in darkness, Help us to be different. The world needs us to be different. So help us to stand up for truth. And we pray this all in the name of the one who is true, Jesus. Amen. So our purpose is going to come up on the screen if you proclaim this with us. And if you're new here and you're wondering why we're proclaiming a purpose, we like to remind each other why we're here as a church. And if you're new here, we're so glad that you're here. And we hope that you join us in this uh, disciple-making adventure that we have here at Good News Church. So if you say this purpose with me, it's to reach and transform people by the power of the gospel and biblical community. Today we're talking a little bit more about God's Word and we're talking about truth. So I thought it'd be kind of fun to start off with a game called Two Truths and a Lie. This is about our staff here at Good News Church, so you can play along and see how many you get right. Uh, First up is our small group director, Mitch Hines. Here are his statements. You have to figure out which one is a lie. He says he loves the Boston Red Sox, he has four teenagers in the house, and he's lived in Maryland. Okay? So try to figure out which one it is. You can write down one, two, or three on that one. And we'll write it down, the lie is that he loves the Red Sox. He's a huge Cubs fan, just like Peter Kruse. So there you go. All right, Lisa, uh, here she is. Uh, She's our children's director. Our kids' director does a great job with all the kids uh, that come here, hundreds and hundreds each week. Her statements are when uh, she was eight years old, she accepted Christ as her savior. Her husband uh, and her were married at 17 years old. And the third statement is she loves country music. What do you guys think? What do you guys think? All right. The lie is that she loves country music. She hates country music. Okay. She got married when she was 17 and still married. So way to go. All right. Here's Samantha. Samantha uh, does all kinds of things in the church to make the church run. Her statements are she was a junior Dallas Cowboys cheerleader. She worked at the Animal Kingdom and she marched in the Macy's Day Parade. That one's tough. That one's tough, right? The lie is that she marched in the Macy's Day Parade. That's the lie. All right, Ella is up next. She's our worship director, and her statements are: she loves chocolate, she loves music, and she owned a cat. It'd be really bad if the lie was that she loves music, right? Uh, that would be that would be really bad. So, which one do you think it is? Yeah, she hates chocolate. Uh, She's like one of the only women I know on the planet that hates chocolate, but she doesn't. So don't buy her chocolate as a gift. All right, then finally, Dylan. He he does a great job with all of our students here. And uh, here is his statements. Uh, He's been to over 15 countries. That he secretly loves Nicholas Sparks movies and books. (laughs) Or that his worst fear is surviving a plane crash only to be stranded in the middle of the ocean at night. Which one do you think? Actually, he loves Nicholas Parks. Sp- no, I'm just kidding. That is the lie, Nicholas Parks. Nicholas Parks. It's awesome to be able to have a little fun with the staff. I'm so thankful for each and every one of them. Some of them you get to see more uh, visibly, like Ella and the great job that she does with the worship team. And some of them, uh, maybe you don't get to see them do as, as much as they do, but they do an amazing job here at Good News. We're so blessed to have an amazing staff that we do. And it's fun to get to know them a little bit better, and it's fun to know truth about them. Because when you know truth about somebody or something, it changes your perspective on things, doesn't it? Truth is very, very important. And that's why the the, uh, point for this morning is that a disciple loves the word. Disciple loves the word. We believe, as a church, that this is truth. We believe that if we know God's word, we know truth. And last week, we looked at, at what it meant uh, to, to why we actually believe the Bible. And we've talked about in the previous weeks what a disciple here at Good News is. We believe a disciple is a follower of Jesus who loves Jesus, who loves one another, and who loves the lost. And last week we looked at why we believe the Bible. And first, we believe the Bible because it's unique over 770,000 words, over 66 books, written over 1,500 years, written by all kinds of people in all different places like Moses in the wilderness or Jeremiah in a, in a dungeon or, or Luke while he was traveling. It was written on three different continents in Asia, Africa, and Europe. It was written by all different types of people from farmers to shepherds to tax collectors to musicians. And and poets. And throughout all those different perspectives, God used his Holy Spirit, and there is one story of the Bible, and that's the redemption of Jesus Christ. And we see that all through the Old Testament and the New Testament, one story over all that time, the uniqueness of it, the Holy Spirit is clearly working through it. We talked about the archaeological evidence, that there's never been one uh, archaeological discovery that's gone against what the Bible has described. It's cool that we get to see that in our worlds. We see how the Bible fits into our world, that when it talks about sin, we see sin. When it talks about things in in our marriage, or greed, or, or guilt, or healing, or hope, or forgiveness, or parenting, or prayer, we see how that fits into our world, that it's not some obscure book. That doesn't get our lives because it's God's word, because it's God's truth. It speaks truth into our life. But most importantly, we talked about last week that we believe the Bible because Jesus did that Jesus was constantly quoting scripture. 78 direct times he quoted scripture. He quoted when he was tempted and when he was beginning his ministry and when he was telling parables and when he was asked about marriage and divorce and when he was on the cross he was quoting scripture. When he rose from the dead he was quoting scripture. We believe the Bible because Jesus did and we believe that a disciple is someone who loves Jesus and the only way you can really love Jesus is by getting to know him through his word and so we believe that the disciple loves the word. And if you're here this morning as a believer and you don't love the word, then I hope this moves you down the scale a little bit further towards loving Jesus more and loving the word more. I once heard that the ideal Christian is described as this, one who is completely fearless, continually joyful, and constantly in trouble. I like that a lot. See, maybe the theology of that could be refined a little bit, but it makes good practical sense because when we know Jesus, when we know his word, then we should be a little less fearful, that we should be a little bit more joyful, but many of you are questioning the in trouble part. Well, if we're actually going to stand on God's word, if we actually believe God's word, then we're going to get in trouble, aren't we? Because the world that we live in lives contradictory to God's word. So if we're going to love His word, if we're going to stand His word, stand for His word, we're going to be in trouble. There's several verses that we see in Scripture that talk about the battle that, that wages, and it's a spiritual battle. And we see it play out in our world. in Ephesians chapter six, it says we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in heavenly places. If you don't believe in spiritual warfare, you can come to my house. I invite you to come to my house any Saturday night. Any Saturday night, you can come to my house. The Herco household believes in spiritual warfare because we never get good night sleeps on Saturday night before I'm preaching the word. It just doesn't happen. Whether it be some random neighborhood kid ringing the doorbell at two in the morning, or one of our kids getting sick, or our alarm going off, or some noise that happens, almost always it happens. Spiritual warfare. It's it's alive and and well, and we as believers in Christ need to stand in Christ. We need to stand in his power, his strength, his word. Because in 2 Corinthians 10, it says, For though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not flesh, but have the divine power to destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ if we're going to win the war we need to count on the power of God and the power of his word and that's why it's so important that we love his word that we get to know him better that we fall in love with him and his word more so that when those spiritual attacks come we have something to fall back on we have the strength to be able to stand up in the midst of a spiritual battle that's happening I mean, Jesus himself, he was constantly putting himself on the line because he understood what was at stake. He was a radical individual, he was an imposing personality. He wasn't intimidating or frightening, but he was imposing, he was unafraid. He entered the temple right before this main scripture that I'm gonna read here in John 8. He entered the temple and he proclaimed himself as the true food and the true drink, that no one would be thirsty if they came to him. He proclaimed in the midst of all of the religious leaders that were against him that he was the light of the world. Do you know how much courage that took for him to do that? That he put himself on the line to be able to proclaim his goodness. See, Jesus himself knew God's word as the incarnate Christ here on earth. He knew God's word, and he was sharing it with others. He loved God's word, and we should too. See, in John 8, where we're going to read from here, just a few verses of the main scripture here this morning, he talks about, before these scriptures in John uh, 31 and 32, he talks that he's not of this world, that he is the son of man that we will die in our sin if we don't have him. And before I read the, the main two uh, verses here this morning, I want to read from you in, in, in Ephesians. Because if we don't know Christ, we will die in our sins. If we don't know him, we don't know hope. And, and Ephesians 2 walks through that very clearly. We see the bad news of the gospel. As for you, you were what? You were what? Dead. Dead. As for you, as for me, you were dead in your transgressions and sins, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and the ruler of the kingdom in the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our sinful nature and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature objects of wrath. Wow. Wow. That's some bad news right there, right? But There's three little letters here. But, but, because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ. Even when we were dead in our transgressions, it is by grace you've been saved. You see, we've done nothing. We were still dead, but in Christ we're made alive. Even when we were dead in our transgressions. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace, expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you've been saved through faith. It's not of yourself. It's a gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. That's amazing news, isn't it? We were dead, but in Christ we made alive, and we get his glorious riches of the heavenly realm. Have you ever put your faith and trust in Christ? See, you can't love the word. You can't love Jesus before you know him. And the way that you know him is by confessing your sins and saying, I was dead. Lord, I'm dead. I need you to be made alive. I mean, nobody wants to be dead. In 16 years of ministry, I've never had anyone come up to me and say, hey, Pastor Andy, I want to be dead. No one says that. People want to be made alive. They want to have hope. They want to have joy. They want to have peace. And believe me, I've tried lots of different ways to have all of that. The only way you're going to truly have that is in Christ. So if you've never accepted Christ as your Lord and Savior, why don't you tell him right now, Lord, I am dead. I need you to come into my life and make me alive. You can do that right in your seat. You can come talk to the elders of the prayer team or me afterward if you need help with that. It's the best decision you could ever make is to be made alive. And that brings us to the main scripture as Jesus was talking about being dead in his sins and now he's talking to the Jews who had believed in him. To the Jews who had believed in him, Jesus said, if you hold my teaching, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. See, Jesus here is talking to chair one people who are coming and seeing, and now they're going to chair two. They're putting their belief in in Jesus, and that word uh, believe, and that word is actually the same word that's used in John 3.16. It means to put our faith and trust in Christ. And that's what he's saying to the people that have done that. He says, if you hold to my teaching, and it's the same word that we talked about a few weeks ago in the original Greek, that word hold means to abide, like a little Joey in the kangaroo's pouch, that you stay in God's word, that you stay in his will, that you abide in his teachings, and when you abide in his teachings, then you truly are his disciples. See, a disciple loves the word of God, and he says, then you'll know the truth. And the truth will set you free. Now, John could have used uh, one of four different words for the word know in the original Greek language. but The word he used is the word genosko. And genosko means to intimately know something. See, the other definitions in Greek mean more like head knowledge. Like you learn something in school and you know it. But genosko means that you know something intimately, like a husband would know his wife, a wife would know her husband, a mother would know their children, that you know them intimately. And it's closely related to the Hebrew word yada, which is is similar to that, is to know something very, very deeply. And and so Jesus was telling them, if you know the truth, then you know that you can be set free free. And if you've ever been captive to anything and you've been set free, you know the feeling of that. I mean, I've talked to many addicts that have been addicted to drugs, alcohol, many other addictions, and to see them come to Christ and be truly set free, they all say the same thing. It's an amazing feeling to be set free. I have a small, silly example of that, but when I was uh, a teenager in, in Portsmouth, New Hampshire on Halloween, uh, me and a bunch of my friends thought it'd be really fun to toilet paper people's houses. I don't know, does that happen anymore? I don't see that happening much anymore, but that was something that we did growing up in small town, New Hampshire. We were really bored, so we're going to go toilet paper's houses. So we were just toilet papering random people's houses. Well, the, the knuckleheads that I was with, and I was one of them, we decided the to toilet paper this house, it was a state trooper's house. So we're throwing the toilet paper over the house, back and forth. Two of us are in the front of the house, two of us are in the back of the house. All of a sudden, we see all the lights pop on. So we start running. Uh, and we start running. Well, we had later found out it was a state trooper's house, and he starts calling all his uh, police friends. And uh, we could not outrun all the police that were after us. And so we got caught. And so I remember there as a 15-year-old kid up against a police car about to get patted down. Now, I had about 10 rolls of toilet paper tucked <laughs> underneath my uh, jacket. So I thought, what am I going to do? So as I saw the police coming, I, I kind of got them out of my uh, jacket and kicked them under the police car. Now, I could see the toilet paper roll just rolling over to the other side of of the curb. And and he comes over and pats me down and doesn't find any toilet paper and doesn't see the toilet paper that goes flying off the other side. And I remember the moment he said, okay, guys, you can go home. I thought, oh, there must be a God (laughs) that I'm not going to get suspended from school and get in trouble with my parents. It felt so good to be set free. And that was a silly little example. But for us, we can be set free of our sin. We can be set free of the bondage that causes all the heartache and trouble in our life. We can be set free that we can ultimately know who our Savior is. And that doesn't mean that we won't have any trouble in this life. Because there's still sin around us and still sin us. But ultimately, we know that we are set free when we know the truth. Because that truth is Christ and his word, and he will set us free. It's always been such a strong goal for me as a pastor to not give you moralistic preaching. I don't want you to ever hear from me on this stage. If you do this and this and this and this, God will love you more. Because I don't see that in scripture at all. In fact, I, what I see is I see lots of people that feel really guilty about things that they've done and feel like they can't be loved by God at all. Or we see in scripture that God demonstrates his love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, he died for us. See, we can, we can be set free because of what Christ has done. You see, progress in our obedience towards Christ happens only when our hearts realize that God's love for us does not depend on the progress of that disobedience and obedience. You see, because Jesus is strong for me, I'm free to be weak. Because Jesus is strong for you, you're free to be weak. Because Jesus won for me, we're free to lose. It's okay. Because Jesus succeeded for me and continues to succeed, you and I are free to fail that we have that freedom. We don't have to do everything perfectly all the time for God to love us. He has done everything so that we can be set free. I hope that's good news for you this morning because life can be really difficult. Things that you had planned didn't quite work out the way that you thought. Relationships that you thought were really strong break apart. There, things in your finances are not quite working out the way that you envisioned, the way that your marriage is going. You're not quite uh, sure what the next step is going to be. We can be set free. We can be set free because what Christ has done. And that's, so important. that's why it's so important for us to fall more in love with Jesus and his word. So as those difficulties of life come, that we can count on him. And as the joys of life come, then we can give him the glory and the credit. Oftentimes here we go through the Westminster Shorter Catechism and we read some of the questions that are uh, really great theological questions based in scripture. And it really makes sense to do that this morning. There's two of them that make sense with this message. Question three in the Westminster Shorter Catechism says, what do the scriptures principally teach? And we see in scripture that they teach what man is to believe about about God and what duty God requires of man. And then the first question, the question that they believed, our, our church fathers believed was most important is, what is the chief end of man? The chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. So if we're supposed to be people that are believers in Christ, that we're supposed to follow after the scriptures, and we're supposed to uh, be people that glorify God. How does that all fit together? Well, we see in Romans uh, chapter 11, uh, verse 36. We see uh, in in 1 Corinthians chapter uh, 6 also, from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever, Amen. And in 1 Corinthians 6, you were bought at a price, therefore, honor God with your body. The best way that we can honor Him, the best way that we can see that all things are for His glory is by loving Him and loving His Word more. And that's why the action step for this week is to read, pray, and share the Word. First, read. A disciple loves the Word. Well, if we love the Word, we have to read it, Right? I mean, that's why we give you these studies, and they're brand new studies for this month we love to help you read God's Word, so make sure you grab one of these studies. We're on page 11 right now in this message, and there's a personal study. You read through uh, 2 Corinthians. There's some notes here to take about people in your life that you could be praying for. We want you to read the Bible, and as you read the Bible, you'll be able to see how to glorify Him more. A pastor friend of mine says that glorifying, that's a word that we use a lot in the church, right? We're going to glorify God. Sometimes we don't stop and, and think, what does it actually mean? I love his definition. It's showing his supreme greatness. That we want to show the greatness of God in our lives and how we interact with people and how uh, we live each and every day. And the only way you can do that is by reading scripture. So when we read scripture, we get to know him accurately in our thoughts. We can't know who God is any other way than, out, than out, without reading his word. We want to enjoy him intensely in our emotions. Well, how do we do that? We do that by reading his word. We want to reflect him constantly in our actions. And so how do we do that? How do we know what he wants us to do? Well, it's in his word. But that's why I shared a little bit about moralistic preaching. Even if you decide, hey, I'm not going to read his word at all. He still loves you because he loves you because he loves you, but This is the God of the universe that we're talking about. Don't you want to get to know him more? Don't you want to know what he wants from you in your life? Don't you want to know how you can declare his supreme greatness? Don't you want to know how you can deal with some of the issues that are happening in your life? It's all right here. It's all right here in the truth of God's word. So we need to read it. And then we need to pray the word. I mean, think about what could be a better prayer than praying God's word Itself. I know many of you struggle with prayer, especially the guys in this room. Many of you guys have never prayed aloud with your wife. You've never prayed aloud with your children. And maybe that's because you're intimidated. But I want to challenge you just pick up God's word and just read his word. You don't have to come up with some fancy prayer. All you have to do is just read what God's word says. And as you're reading God's word, the, the prayers that honor him will just automatically come out. So I challenge you that if you've never prayed aloud with your spouse, you've never prayed out loud with your kids, you never had a time talking to God, just pick up his word and do that. And we're going to practice here this morning so you know exactly how to do it. Psalm 100, we're going to pray through this. And this is the message version. I don't often quote the message version, but I thought for a prayer to God, it's really good. So you can just read it and we're going to pray through this. This is what God's word says. On your feet now, applaud God. Bring a gift of laughter. Sing yourself into his presence. God, we're so thankful that you give us joy, that you give us a voice that we could actually sing and actually proclaim your goodness. Thank you. Verse three, know this. God is God, and God, God, he made us. We didn't make him. We are his people, his well-tended sheep. God, I'm so thankful that you are God, that you are in control, that we are well tended because we're your sheep and you love us. Thank you. Enter with the password. Thank you. Make yourself at home talking praise. Thank him. Worship him. Lord, I'm so grateful for the things in my life. I'm so grateful for my wife and my kids and the health that they have. And thank you for blessing me with a church home. Lord, thank you for all the ways that you bless me. I have a house to live in and a bed to sleep on. And my pantry is full of food. Lord, thank you. Verse 5. For God is sheer beauty, all generous in love, loyal always and forever. Lord, thank you that you are loyal. Even when I stray, even when my thoughts stray, even when I sin, you're loyal to me. In Jesus' name, amen. That wasn't hard, right? That wasn't hard. And even the little prayers that I said in in between, even if you're just intimidated by that, you can just literally just read the words. But we should pray God's word. And as we're praying God's word, we get to know him better. And we're gonna fall more in love with him. We're gonna fall more in love with his word. So we should read it, and and we should pray it, and then we should share it. In Mark 16, it says, go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. The verse that, the passage that started off this whole disciple-making adventure here at Good News, the Great Commission, many of you are familiar with it. Therefore, go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to observe everything I commanded you, And I am with you always to the very end of the age. If we're going to teach people what we're commanded, then we have to share that with others. In Romans 10, it says, how can they call on the one they have not believed in? And how can they preach unless they are sent? As it's written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. My feet have never been called beautiful, y'all. Never. Never. But God's word says they can be beautiful when I bring good news. Verse 17 says, so faith comes from what is heard, and what is heard comes through the message about Christ. We most clearly hear the message about Christ in scripture, and that's where true discipleship starts. See, what an amazing charge that God gives us to know his word and be able to share that with others, that we should fall in love with it so much that it comes bubbling up in us and over it, over in us. I mean, when we go to a really good restaurant, what do we do? What do we do? We start, yeah, we go back. We start telling all kinds of other people about it, right? That we had a good experience. Oh, you should try the food. And I do that a lot of times around here with the Leo Deli. Okay. DeLeo Deli has the best Italian sandwich you've ever had in your life. If you haven't gone there, you're crazy. You need to go there. They're closed on Sunday, but you need to go there on Monday. It's an amazing place to eat a sub. You'll never have a better sub in your entire life. What did I just do there? I just testified because it bubbles over in me. I can't help it. Their subs are really good, and I have to tell you about it. Does anybody here like Italian sandwiches? Has anybody here and never been to DeLeo? If you like Italian sandwiches and never been to DeLeo, I, I saw you in the back. Here, I, I can't see who that is. Will you come up here for a second, real quick? I got something for you. See, I thought it'd be bad to talk about how great their subs are without getting you a sub. Oh, it's Brian. Hey, Brian. Hey. There you go, buddy. So you've never had a DeLeo yeah, sub before. Great. Well, here, enjoy. Make sure you put the oil on it before okay. you eat it. All right, Thanks man. So much, Congratulations. Man. There you go. <laughs> See, I thought it'd be bad to talk about it and not actually share one uh, with, with someone. But see, what we do when we like something a lot is we just have to share it. Now, we're talking about a sub, and their subs are really good. But their subs are nothing compared to the goodness and joy and peace and salvation that we find in Christ. And most of you here, you have that. You have the joy of Christ. You have his salvation. You know where eternal life is. But you know what the majority of people around you in your neighborhood and at your office and at your schools, you know what they don't have? That same peace. They don't have that peace. They don't have that joy. They're wondering what's going to happen to them, even if they're not consciously thinking about it. I remember for 21 years of my life really thinking, where am I going to find true peace? Where am I going to find joy? If there is a God, how is he going to ever accept me? We're the messengers. But we're never going to be effective messengers until we love God's word first. But when we love God's word, it can't help but ooze out of us. We can't help but want to read it more and want to pray it more and want to share it more. See, a disciple loves the word. Do you? Let's pray. God, I thank you for your word. Lord, I confess there are times where I very clearly don't love your word. There are times where I could go many days without reading your word. Lord, forgive me for that. This is your very word, Lord. I pray, God, that as a people, that we would fall more in love with you, that we fall more in love with your word. Lord, help us to be a church that's salt and light. Help us to be the beacon of truth in a sea of confusion, Lord. Help us to be different in a way that honors you. Lord, we pray that you would help us to demonstrate your way, your love, and that we would love your word and it would be put into action.